0: Well now, live from the News Desk, and I do mean live from the News Desk, here at IBGR.news. My name is William Eastman, and coming to you from beautiful downtown Richmond, Virginia, these are our North American studios. So let's get on with the news. So first thing you got to do is go to the news site, that's IBGR.news, and this is an electronic newspaper that uh, we have assembled, and uh, of course, help with other people. such as PaperLi, and uh, I've been using them for a number of years. But I like their algorithm. I like the way it works. And it gives you the ability to find the, the, the really find the stories that you're looking for. So as you get to IBGR.news, you'll see there, no, right there number one global business talk and news network. Well, that is true, and that is by web ranking because nobody, there's no independent agency doing this at the moment. So what this represents is what a web agency is is saying in terms of where we stand statistically all right if you come on down you get navigation bar it will take you all around the the uh, ibgr.network website let me talk about the relationship between the two real fast we provide here at ibgr.news the foundation the news your health is uh, if you think about you are what you eat or drink well in terms of health decisions you make how well your business is going to run is built on a foundation of the type of information you consume. We're trying to provide you better information and what we're doing here is not so much the day-to-day, moment-to-moment information from your local market, rather it is the series of trends that are going on that will have some impact on your business. (coughs) Some of them will be how you do business some of them will be who you're doing business with now below that we have our podcast and in this section right here we record all of the shows uh, twice a day there's a 30-minute recording in here because we go through and we select out of the 100 potential stories we have we select four five or six today i have five but probably we're only going to get done with four and so why did we pick those and why those are important we wanted to keep that documented all right we go down a little bit further you have our uh, time schedule those are the reference times so this is the four cities that we use to anchor at times sydney mumbai greenwich and new york and uh, so if you want to know what time we're live all you got to do is look at those cities we got all that information provided and then you can say okay add or subtract now let's go down the list here as we go down we have what i call panels and the first panel is mission critical um i did take a look at this and I didn't feel like ragging on them, so um, what we're not going to do is cover it now. What, let me explain what's going on here. So, if you're following us, you you are seeing this all the time. If you're not following us, well, let me help you out here. There is a major movement around the world to change the definition of what capitalism is, and so. Capitalism is a pretty simple. Uh, it is a it, it's a system of voluntary exchanges uh, between people, organizations, etc., based upon value. And uh, you provide me value by making it. I provide you b- value by paying you. And that the, the price is set it's uh, it's based upon supply and demand, based upon what we negotiate. And it basically, it's a very decentralized system. And what a lot of people are unhappy about. And that's where this article is going, and this is part of the part of the movement to sell you on the Great Reset. And by the way, this is by PricewaterhouseCoopers out of Luxembourg. And one of the things you can guarantee, whether it's these guys, KPMG, Deloitte, or uh, Mackenzie, uh, I think I maybe I said them twice. Who knows? they're all in on the game because for them this is this is going to be perfect their world that they want to create is a perfect world for large corporations and it is the death star for startup for entrepreneurs for small businesses okay and so the idea here is that what we've got to do is things that are not considered of value, therefore they don't drive a uh, reasonable price to perhaps invite vendors. We're going to change the rules so the things that they consider to be important are now included in there. And so I'm not going to do it because I don't want to take it apart. Um, uh, the first one I want to talk about is, um, in fact, there's two right here on the next panel. What percentage of startups fail? and this is just intriguing and i think you need to have this in fact i just downloaded it uh, because it's from multiple sources and that is what percentage of startups fail okay 67 plus stats for 2020 now we can't do 2021 yet because 2021 is still going on all right so let me hit you with just a couple highlights from this thing um see here when we read about widely wildly successful startups unicorns all the time as of january 2020 there were over 600 unicorns for all you out there it's a company that's been valued at over a billion dollars in, in terms of what the people believe it's worth and it is not publicly traded it's not on a, somebody's stock market yet it's typically the darling of somebody's vc venture capital firm all right so we got that get that out of the way All right, so now, while launching a successful startup seems deceptively easy, and if you think that's true uh, on LinkedIn and Facebook, catch my show that I did at 1 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time today, and that's on consulting, and I was helping consultants um, start their own business, but also what's the model for if consultants were hired to help their clients start a business, how would you do that? So we already know that that is not true, okay? The thing is, in 1999, U.S. startups created a massive 4.7 million jobs. Fast forward to 2019, and that number stood at 3.1 million. Now, what's going on? Well, it's regulation, it's taxes, and it's a general change in how people are perceiving the government's role in the economy, all right? So let's go a little bit further. These figures beg the question, what percentage of startups fail? And so what they did is they collected these facts. So let's go through here. And, and these are, since they're gotten from multiple sources, they may not all jive numerically. But I think the pattern is, as I went through them, and I couldn't look at all 67 before we did today's show, they all look pretty good. All right. So here we go. 90% of new startups fail. Okay. All right. 75% of venture back. Startups fail. Now, if you think about it, what's the difference? What's that 15% difference? Access to capital, and a lot of uh, VC backed startups are getting help or mentorship from the VCs because they're trying to protect their money. Under 50% of the businesses make it to their fifth year. 33% of startups make it to the 10 year mark, which is pretty good. Over only 40% of the startups actually turn a profit. 82% of businesses that fail do so because of cash flow problems. And the highest failure rate occurs in the information industry at 63%. All right, so now that I've whetted your appetite, let's explore the more important new trends. What does the global startup scene look like? Here are some key developments that help explain what percentage of startups will fail in 2020 and beyond. All right, so now, what percentage of startups fail? It's estimated 90% startups fail. The source for this is Medium, and by the way, this is review. Uh, 42 is the source of this. First time I've seen their stuff, but uh, won't be the last time. All right. So, how many startups fail in the first year? Around 20%. 34% of startups close within their first two years. Just over 50% of the businesses make it to their fifth year. Only 25% of the businesses make it to a 15 year mark. Okay. So what percentage of startups become successful? Only one in 10 survive the long run. To make matters worse, the failure rate progressively increases over time. You might think that you're in the clear if your small business has been around a number of years, but the Bureau of Labor Statistics, BLS, this is a government agency, by the way, an excellent source of data in the United States. It's not the case. Number two, only 40% of startups actually turn a profit and this is small business trends and I think I've seen this one because uh, I've used their information before. 30% of startups break even all right so and it doesn't put a time frame on it and so I'll suspend my normal statement I'll make uh, I normally make is that when somebody does not give you context to the numbers they're providing, worry about it okay? All right, so 30% of startups break even. We don't know the time frame. Startups with two founders are 19% less likely to scale prematurely than startups with a single founder. Now, and the reason for that is they're able to do a better job of due diligence in a shorter period of time. You must start the business quickly. If you don't, then you're not gonna have enough capital to get you through the next stage. On the other hand, you start too fast, You haven't done your homework, you haven't done your research in order to understand clearly what's the match between your offer, what customers want to purchase, and what's your market timing. Startups with two founders have nearly three times the user growth of startups with a single founder. Okay? So, that is a pretty good statistic. Uh, Crippling cash flow issues also affect startups' profitability. As a result, over half of all startups operate at a loss. All right, but here's the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, what's that? Okay, uh, let's see. Oh, they're advocating for a co-founder. Okay, the next one. What percent of startup companies fail in Europe? All right, I'm gonna pass that one up. Here we go. Why do most startups fail? By the way, you get this, you print it. I'm just hitting the highlights because I, I don't, 30 minutes can't cover this, okay? Number four. And why do they fail? So here's number four in the list. No market need is the number one reason why startups fail. Amen, brother. Marketing is another major reason for failure. Team problems are also contributing factor to startup failure. Little experience of CEOs and directors are also common characteristic of failed startups. Most failed startups tend to have several things in common. First, insufficient competence can result in emotional pricing and a lack of planning. Second, inexperienced founders often buy the wrong inventory or make bad decisions. Third, poor advice from friends and family, in addition to family commitments, piles on to considerable pressure running your own company, impacts what percentage of businesses, startup businesses fail. All right. Let me see, but what factors lead to success? All right, so I'm going to go through one more and I'm going to leave it to you. Uh, number five 82 percent of businesses that fail do so because of cash flow problems okay so let's go there 79 percent of businesses that fail start out with little too little money number one number two 77 percent of businesses do not have appropriate product and or service prices number three 73 percent of businesses have overly optimistic sales estimates all right so most startups fail uh, due to money related issues, sound financial planning is absolutely critical. Okay. So really what you got here is what we all as business owners, that if you've got more than one startup, you know, intuitively, and it comes down to two things. How well you have matched an offer to a need and what is your market timing? That's kind of one side. And then the other side is, is the whole thing about access to capital profitability management and cash flow. It comes down to those two issues. All right, great article. You get it. You download it. You take a look at it. By the way, a lot of that we use around here. Now, right next to that is another story. Five ways to handle fast company growth via technology. I thought that was kind of interesting. And by the way, the computer does this. So nobody went, oh, let's put those side by side. So now this one is by InnoTech today. First time I've used any data from now from them. Starting a a business is hard enough, but you may end up being more successful than you had anticipated. Well, after the last data set, I'm not so sure about it. In that case, the issue becomes keeping up the fast pace of your company's growth. Got it. Uh, It's the second most dangerous time uh, after the initial startup and you start selling is when you grow and do you destroy working capital. That's been what I have experienced. If your startup is overgrowing, you may become overwhelmed, no kidding, which will definitely affect your business and lead to failure. Therefore, you must know precisely what to do when your company growth exceeds your expectations. Okay, so here's their list. Number one is delegate. Okay, good. If you have somebody in the organization to delegate. So the assumption we're going to be making is they're talking about growth. Is they're not talking about the early, early stages of growth. They're talking about after you've proved the business idea and now you made a decision to scale up the company to handle growth, then that means that there'll be bodies laying around. Choose a powerful uh, payroll software. Absolutely. I think, I think what you could say here is get a powerful integrated accounting package. Payroll, accounts payable, accounts receivable. If you're going to manage your cash flow, um, you definitely want to use technology here. Perform a growth diagnosis on your company. Now, there's a lot of of ways you can go with that. If you want one of those, you can get it from uh, from the network. You can go to IBGR.network. I have several of those that I can do that will help you take a look at where you are in terms of readiness for growth or your capacity to grow and are you growing in the right way terms of is it going to lead to a favorable outcome Uh, and I uh, let's see two more keep customer expectations a priority okay Uh, customer-centered we got that and cost control absolutely cost control um, goes back to when they say choose powerful payroll software choose powerful financial software which payroll is part of because if you're going to control cost you're going to have to have a way of tracking where the money is going and how it's being spent if that doesn't happen you're not going to pull this off okay so let's go back and i think what we got to do now is we got to come on down a couple panels and stop where you see receive the newsletter and that'll be the next our next way station here and you'll find this anytime you come to the paper, you're gonna see something like this because even though there's 100 stories, 100 stories do not get, are not, do not get, that's really good English, William, uh, are not, are not, um, all load at the same time. So you'll you'll be scrolling down, you'll see five, six panels, and then you say load 50. And what that means is that there are 50 left to load, they won't load all 50. So here, number one is Why would you receive the newsletter? Because twice a day we will send you a email saying the paper has been refreshed. And again, what we're looking for are trending information globally to help you start, grow, or exit a business. And if you give us an email address, my guarantee to you is nothing will be done with that except to send you this. You'll get no other marketing information, brochures, etc. from us. So please do it now. It'll say here load uh 85 that means we looked at 15 or 85 left and the next one we're going to is what influences buying decisions so let's go down one panel two panel and by the way i my pre- previous statement uh, my first one about the great reset there you go you've got john kerry i will not uh, i will not discuss which actor he looks like but john kerry um, who served in vietnam by the way for those of you who don't know and the great reset see i i i all i can tell you is that this great reset is not a smart move and the more that you look at it with a jaundiced eye a critical eye the more you're going to find out that this is a, an economic system that is fundamentally a combination of socialism and fascism okay and i don't say those in political metho- uh terms socialism with government control government ownership of means of production in some areas like energy and that uh, that only large corporations will be allowed to operate because only large corporations are going to be able to under operate under this in a highly regulated environment fascism okay all right so scroll down let me see here let me see how we keep going down here yeah it's a, this is one of those days where you know you had a couple of good stories up at the beginning and then what you have is you have a lot of filler in between that's why sometimes it's hard for me to turn to, to give you these events well i'll tell you what's going to be in that article when i find it and that is it's going to be talking about buying personas there you go it's down there you'll find uh, a picture of a uh a bank and two ramps central bank needs to stop the mission creep true then right next to it what influences buying decisions go ahead and open up that one and this is a this is an ad by the way it 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 came in as news but it's actually an ad from an organization called full scale and what they're doing is they're they're basically get this is a great and one of the reasons that i'm using it is that if you're looking at what uh messaging could look like messaging that is uh, confused with or messaging that looks like information this is a great one because what they did here when i first read it i was going okay okay then i looked at it closer and said it's an it's a promotion but give the devil his due it's pretty good and it's out of their blog. all right so the things here i thought uh, i liked was the science behind sales and marketing okay there really is i mean it's it's at some point you do have a lot of intuition that's involved with this but it's also a a great deal of science and so you basically know that almost all buying decisions by clients uh, are, are emotional and we use our rationality to justify the emotional decision all right and so what it gets down to now is really what the buying persona is and what they're doing is they're looking at buyers and they're trying to make a decision on You know, what is it that they make up their buying, how they make their buying decisions, because the move that you wanna make in the world we're currently in is marketing is all content-based information out there, such as they're putting on their blog. So how do I surround customers with information like this that does not look like advertising or promotion that will educate them to make them better consumers of what it is I sell, and at the same time inoculate them from the competition. And so 10 questions here, not bad, things that you can answer to begin to get a picture of the customer, for example, what are their job and responsibilities? What are their ambitions? Uh, What are their financial limitations and the role they're in? What makes them uh, satisfied and happy? What stresses them out? Okay, reasonably good questions to get at that. All right, and then you do a market analysis and that's not a bad model that they use here. So the issue with this is I want you to look at this because if you were thinking about how do I do a how do I do marketing messages that are predominantly informational but also advertising my company and right here, um, unless I missed it when I scrolled down, they've got a couple of videos uh, interspersed in here. They're not selling a damn thing. Of course they are, but they're not selling anything right there. So good job by those boys. All right, so the next one I want to go to is video game industry this is a good one this is probably one we're going to end with so you're going to have to scroll down and you're going to come down to load 69 which means 69 left the load go ahead and uh, load it and then i'm going to go down to the article and i'll tell you exactly what it looks like when i get there because it's going to be a, it's going to be down the list just a tad so what you're looking for again is and this is by the uh, Mises Institute. The video game industry points to the future of organization. And it's it's out of the box enough, it really is, to where you're going to go, okay, where is this going to take me? All right, so yeah, this is the, this is one of the challenges we have with this particular style, is that, you know, you could go on forever going, I know it's here somewhere. It's kind of like that old joke about there's a pony in the room, you know, I just got a. Right, I must have missed it here. All right, I'm going to tell you what it is, you find it, and I'll go there. All right, so here we go. Economics for Business is a series that uh, Mises Institute runs, is attached to uh, Auburn University. And as a disclaimer, my ed, my economic educa- education, which is I'm self-taught economist, comes from here. Okay, so yeah, let me see here. Alright, organizational innovation has a long and successful track record in the video game industry. Now I know this from knowing other people. I don't play any video games. They just never appeal to me. A lot of value has been generated in the video game industry in a short period of time. Video games surpass movies and music in revenue. Didn't know that, Uh, well I didn't know that until about a half hour ago when I read it. Without a long history of corporate hierarchies and bureaucracies to shed, in the industry embrace the organizational innovations of open source software I'm a huge Linux guy the box that we use to run the radio station and all the things that we're doing is a Windows box because that's where most of the software and applications are our server is Red Hat okay so let me see here Uh, including anonymous collaboration among highly distributed and organized teams, peer review systems, and agile processes. So, for example, if you are a member of LibreOffice, and that's what you're using as your software on your computer as opposed to using Google Docs and Google Spreadsheet and all that, that is a totally free, you donate to uh, resource. And so that software package, other than Their um, database manager, which is not as good as Microsoft's, but other than that, that's an excellent piece of software for free. How did they build it for free? Okay, so let's go there. So they're talking about Valve, okay? Valve is an example of a company. A very successful industry-leading company pursued a value-generation logic to frame its approach to organization. So how do they organize the company? Well, here's some great bullet points. And again, if you listen to my Facebook or my LinkedIn or my radio show at 1 o'clock today, I hit on a lot of these f- different factors. Okay, Creativity is a core resource most important skill in game development. So what you're looking for is you're looking for creative people, and therefore we have to organize that makes creativity uh, possible. Okay? So that's the first one. Second one, uh, creative employees are key to the capabilities. Okay, got it. Creative people are more productive when left to express their own creativity in their own way. So what that means is that we probably have have a pretty uh, light hand on how organized work Uh, obviously work has to be organized otherwise you can't get anything done uh, in in any reasonable amount of time and one of the reasons that we use agile as a development piece is pretty simple agile is a great way of organizing this okay hierarchy blocks creativity as do planning and routine again these are great formulas for agile and that's why most of these companies are very very flat Uh, And then, how do we design a company to attract and retain the sort of people who are able to take the boldest creative steps? And the answer, let employees decide what to work on. Let them exercise entrepreneurial judgment, let them, in effect, do both strategy and implementation give them all the decision rights let them identify customer preferences since they know the customer best let them decide how to best address those preferences let them decide how to achieve competitive differentiation let them allocate resources uh, choose cost and manage profitability let them control quality and decide when The software, in your case, would be the product is ready to shift. Now, I recommend that you read more of that article because I didn't do it justice. But now, if I'm running a company, which I am, are we going to have it run kind of like a gaming company? Well, the answer is closer to it than not, but some of the things that we can't do uh, because we're in a a different industry. But basically, I'm absolutely on board with this philosophical approach. Uh, A number of years ago, Henry Mintzberg one of the great uh, authors out there at management this type of form of government uh, form of governance and organizational structure was called ad hocracy all right and this is probably a theme that I'm going to develop more over at IBGR network okay so I need to be out. So you've been listening to IBGR.news. That's IBGR.news. My name is William Eastman, sitting here at the desk at our news bureau. And we are the number one global business talk and news network. Go nowhere. I'm going to be back in 11 and a half hours, but we start a a great broadcast week. And it starts right now at uh, 9 o'clock in the morning in Sydney, Australia. And we're going into Wednesday there, which is marketing, sales, and service. I'll catch you. Take care.